Hauka Machuaipe. Chanel Nachui. Hello, let's talk. My name is Chanel. Welcome to the first episode of Indigenize, a podcast created by students of SDSU's Native Resource Center. The NRC is a cultural center that serves the Native American student population and students who are part of the American Indian Studies Department at SDSU. Indigenize is our podcast. We will discuss issues relevant to the Indigenous community here at SDSU and beyond. Each week, we will drop a new episode that has a theme that we prepared specially for you. If you follow our Instagram, at SDSUNativeRC, you will receive exclusive previews of upcoming episodes, as well as opportunities to be a guest. We will have a segment specially for questions and comments submitted by community members. You can speak on anything, but we definitely appreciate participation regarding the week's topic. Speaking of which, week one, what topic do we have for our introduction? Uh, What better topic than indigeneity and anti-indigeneity? Our fearless leader, Chris, the director of the NRC, wrote up on our board, anti-indigeneity, what it is, what to do. That way, us as indigenous people would see it and be able to think, what is anti-indigeneity and what do we do when we're confronted with it? This week I spoke with people who entered the space at the NRC, both as staff and students, and asked what anti-indigeneity means, because only when we can identify it can we know what to do about it. Halito, my name is Jennifer Clay and I'm from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, living here in California. Um, And what is indigeneity? And I like that one of the definitions is indigeneity is woven through diverse experiences and history is often described as pan-political identity in a post-colonial time. And that's a mouthful, but when I look at my indigeneity, I do look at it as a person that is a, uh, a weaver of our experiences and our practices, uh, you know, in the use of our language, practicing our culture, and uh, most especially in the way that we treat other people and honor other people. So my indigeneity comes out through my art and uh, speaking out on uh, indigenous social issues. It comes out through my activism and participating in protests and uh, teaching uh, multicultural classes where I weave in indigenous history and issues as much as I can and then also in my daily practices of uh, smudging and um, you know even the uh, native jewelry that I wear with intentionality and the colors that are worn I feel like all of those uh, help define and Uh, perpetuate who I am. It sounds like it's uh, deeply cultural, like you include your culture in everything that you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so important. I mean, a lot of that is missing from especially younger generations. It's it's hard to include all of that because a lot of it also feels performative. Exactly. Because there's so much like imposter syndrome and stuff. So Mm -hmm. like I'm native, but I grew up in town. So like res Indians might not feel like I'm real Indian or if someone isn't enrolled you're not really Indian like that if you don't have your tribal card yeah right 
but what we were discussing earlier and what I'd like your opinion on is anti-indigeneity. What is anti-indigeneity from a non-native perspective or from, from a native perspective? Um, I think it's that blindness to that you're living in a Western system and you're practicing in a Western system and participating in that without any uh, uh, broader perspective of what's going on with, you know, structural racism and so anti, you're perpetuating it, I guess, is just not okay, even... Okay, so, so not something that's necessarily put on indigenous people, but something that um, indigenous people embody sometimes. Yes. From time, like, as a part, having to be a part of society and forgetting your indigeneity. Forgetting who you are and your roots. And, you know, I even have family members that are that way. And, and it always surprises me how... Um, I don't want to say blind, but they're just not looking or choosing not to look. I was going to say that um, uh, my father, who's no longer living, uh, lived on the reservation and had all of those hardships of boarding school, ran away, was beaten for speaking the language. So as a father that I knew him, he did not uh, want to, us to really fully practice or go back home to Oklahoma. He kept us in California, didn't share a whole lot. Um, and I really didn't hear the fluent, beautiful language uh, unless he was very, very drunk. And then I could hear it. Um, but it, other than that... That's an unfortunate yeah. association, too. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that shame that was uh, carried over that um, as an adult myself that I'm trying to turn around for my own children. Well, um, is there anything else that you want to add or? I know, except I'm just so very happy to podcasts are happening because it's another way that we have voice, that we give voice to these issues. Ability, yeah. I believe is super important. Definitely. So. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Hey, you should introduce yourself. Oh, I should introduce myself? Hi, I'm Santino. I, uh, I work here at the Native Resource Center well, I heard through the grapevine what it is. The core of anti-indigeneity is in opposition to self-determination, political and cultural autonomy, and the right to maintain, use, and protect traditional territories and resources. That's what it is. What to do is a much more complicated question. And as our director said, we should focus on the what it is before we get to the what to do. Anti-indigeneity to me is quite simply the antithesis to what indigeneity is to me, which is being indigenous, being proud of being indigenous, not trying to hide your indigeneity from the world, being proud of yourself, being proud of your culture and your ancestors. But anti-indigeneity is the antithesis of that to me. It is not only within indigenous communities, the um, want to either eradicate or tone down indigeneity, and try to make it more of a shameful thing, and try to more assimilate to the colonial identity. And out, like even more so outside of indigenous spaces, anti-indigeneity really is the um, suppression, oppression, and, well, destruction of indigeneity. I equated it to anti-Semitism in the way that it's just the antithesis of Semitism, of being Jewish and Judaism and everything that goes along with that. 
I feel like it's the same thing with anti-indigeneity versus indigeneity. I mean, that makes sense to me. It sounds like your perspective is a little bit more of an outside force. Mm-hmm. So people putting indigenous people through that sort of trauma. If, even if anti-indigeneity is within, I mean, it's within all of us. There's always a little part of every single person who identifies as indigenous. There's always a little, little spark of either shame or uncomfortableness with our identities. Like when you're introducing yourself and people are like, oh, where are you from? Like, I've had mm-hmm. that conversation because like, oh, I'm from San Diego. Oh, but no, like, no, where are you? Like, where are like your people from? <laughs> where, where are you from ethnically? Like, uh, San Diego. Well, like, nobody's really from San Diego. Yeah, I'm Kumiai. I'm from San Diego. But then that opens a whole new plethora of uncomfortable questions or like uncomfortable yeah. feelings. And since there's so much anti-indigeneity, especially for me as being a person of not only indigenous ancestry, but Mexican ancestry as well. There's so much anti-indigeneity in Mexico and Latin America at large that it's just really difficult to balance that. And especially when I'm around either my own relatives or around other people's relatives who are Mexican, it just, it's like sometimes, most of the time, all the time, very uncomfortable to even bring up my indigeneity and my pride for my indigeneity. Even with my own family members who are also indigenous, they just don't want to have anything to do with it for whatever reasons, you know. I mean, it's generational, this yeah. generational trauma of having to be ashamed, having to hide it, mm-hmm. having to, like, no, that's not the way to be. It's not acceptable. I mean, families in Mexico who are indigenous, which is most families in Mexico, you know, it's, you know, one of the oldest colonies in the, in the entire Americas. It's been around since 1521, and so... With that over, like that 500 years of colonization, the first few generations were the, I'm ashamed to call myself indigenous generation, but then it, it dwindled so little to the point where there was nothing at all, and so many people have been detribalized completely from their ancestry because of that, because their parents were ashamed, their grandparents were ashamed, and they didn't pass on the traditions. And that's where my family was for a very long time. But luckily with the technology, social media, and all that that we have now, I was able to put the pieces back together and reclaim that identity for myself and for my family. That's so important. Mm-hmm. It, it is It is a true challenge. And I mean, what I could say to anybody who's struggling with that kind of identity crisis issue in their family or within themselves is just don't give up hope for that. Because even if it feels like it's hopeless, even if it feels like it, nothing could ever come of it or you could ever reclaim that, there's always hope. It took me a long time to be able to find it and be comfortable with calling myself an indigenous person. It took... I'm here. So, there you have it. There you have it. And that ties into the indigeneity. You know, you have your history, Mm -hmm. and you're able to be proud of that. And people who don't have that should still be proud of who they are. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. My name's Jeremy Billy. I'm a fourth-year... I am majoring in sociology and American Indian studies, and I'm Navajo. Yeah, so many things come to mind when I hear anti-indigeneity. So much in our past, and, you know, the U.S.'s past, tribes past, you know, just history in general. But I think one of the ones that really has come to mind recently is blood quantum. And I know that's a huge hot take in the Native communities. Oh, yeah. And even, you know, the anthropological communities, and, you know, a whole lot, a whole lot to unpack. But, um... I think that's one of the best things to describe anti-indigeneity because historically blood quantum was never used on, you know, any humans. 
it, it was only movies with animals, horses, dogs to really say, oh, you know, what percent golden retriever are they? What percent German shepherd are they? So and then purebreds and exactly mutts. And same thing with horses. You know, you hear purebred racehorse. You know, this this positive thing comes to mind. So multiple people came up with the idea of blood quantum, but they're like, hey, that's applies to native people because we can't kill them, we can't drive them away. How about we just try to erase them? So third time's a charm, I guess. So, you know, they come up with this brilliant idea where, okay, you get a full-blood Navajo, non-native, they marry, have a kid, it's half-blood now. That kid has a kid with a non-native, quarter-blood. That kid has a, a child with another non-native, oh no, not Navajo anymore. And it just, it's really not how that works with any civilization. It really, none of, no other civilization, no other group of people, no other country has ever operated, you know, that way. And it really was, you know, a last-ditch last effort to kind of erase the Native peoples, Indigenous peoples of North America and South America. But it was really prevalent in North America. The really sad part about that is, at least when, you know, Native people were, like, getting killed, yeah, obviously you're not going to fight with the people, with the people killing you. When they were going to move to reservations, yeah, you're not going to fight with the people trying to move your people to reservations, you know? But blood quantum, you know, as terrible as it was, it was one of the smartest things that the U.S. has done because it really drove a wedge between Native peoples. It's like, it's arbitrary, and why it's still a thing bugs me to no end. Exactly, and... That's, I guess, why it works so well is because there are many Native people trying to fight for it and to keep it a very real thing. I grew up knowing about blood quantum. I grew up, you know, fifth grade, fourth grade, even third grade, I knew about blood quantum. And again, I'm a quarter Navajo. Technically speaking, I'm a quarter Navajo. So, but in the back of my mind, it's like, wow, my kids aren't going to, you know, they are still going to be around the culture, but they're not going to be able to get enrolled. They're not going to be able to say, oh yes, I'm legally Navajo, they're not going to be able to, you know, have that identity. And I know that it doesn't matter if you're enrolled or not, that you're Navajo, but it's just, there's a stigma around it, you know. It's when you apply for scholarships, you can't. You know, you have to be Navajo to apply for a Navajo scholarship. You can't, you know, if your dad's Navajo, your mom's Navajo, your... Like, there's no way around that? Cause there's I don't no like... way around it. There's, um, CAB card? Is that what okay. the certification the CDIP or C certification of Indian blood? Yeah. Yeah. Does that not apply to scholarships? So it really depends on actually the organization. So who's giving out the scholarships. So right. it can be a tribal scholarship or it can be a native organization who gives out the scholarships. But depending on where they get their money from, there's stipulations saying they can only go to natives. So if it's like a federal grant they get their scholarship pool from, like the money f to distribute it, it's like a federal grant. There could be stipulations okay. saying, "Oh, like they have a, to be native. They have a to leave." Federally it. recognized grant exactly. tribe. And... Exactly. Hmm. So, so like, yeah, the blood quantum seems to like embody the whole ideal of anti-indigeneity. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. I find that as you get more educated, but you get around more educated, you know, native even people in general who have experience with tribes and experience with just native culture in general, you kind of see that that blood quantum thought kind of, it's not as prevalent as it was. Hello everyone, my name is Jessica Vicente. I am a fifth year student at San Diego State University. So anti-indigeneity is a pretty new term to me. I haven't come across it very much, but 
what it represents to me is anything prohibiting an indigenous person from promoting who they are or what they represent. Just to bring up an example of what I saw recently, there was a newscast on an app on my phone of a Native American family who is suing a school district in Nebraska because their secretary at the school chopped off the son and daughter's long hair. And they are from the Suian tribes. So their hair holds a lot of power and everything. So that's why they're bringing up the lawsuit. And hopefully something happens with that. And oh, yeah. So they kind of did what they did in the boarding school and just like chopped it up to their shoulders. That isn't that like assault? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the first, pers- like. In today's <laughs> world, it would be considered assault. Yeah. So anti indigeneity. And you said it right. Something ex- um, prohibiting or. Ex- prohibiting indigenous people from expressing who they are and I know I've gone through a lot of that while I was here at the school like people always be looking at me weird whenever I um whenever I walked to class and I was wearing anything out of the ordinary so like my turquoise um or my moccasins and people would be like why are you wearing slippers (laughs) or somebody when I had my wraps on that one day, everybody kept asking me, like, what'd you do? Are you okay? And I just kept asking, what? And they're like, oh, we thought that you broke your legs. I was like, no, they're shoes, kind of like boots, but you have to put it on, and it takes a long time. But, yeah, they're like, you shouldn't be wearing that then. So there's some things that I've gone, I've experienced here at the school that, Probably shouldn't have been done, but I got through it. I'm still here. <laughs> uh, honestly, I don't think that I have been confronted with people's ignorance as uh, like forcefully as you have. <laughs> My very first day back here, like in-person classes, mm-hmm. um, my teacher was reading through his syllabus and got to the land acknowledgement and was like, oh, they made us put in so many new things like oh this is just another thing and he read through it and then was like yeah and there's a longer one this is the short one none of that was necessary and I did a thing that I'm not comfortable with at all (laughs) is after class I went up to him and was like um look I'm native and I know a lot of people worked really hard to get this land acknowledgement and you kind of are undermining all of that, that work that put that they put into this by saying all of those things. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean it. Regardless of how you meant it, I was uncomfortable. And I'm letting you know that so then the next time you read through the syllabus, you don't have to make anyone else who's native <laughs> uncomfortable. So you don't even have to be native to be uncomfortable by the way he presented it. Mm-hmm. It was like, it is a burden. Like, it is not a burden. <laughs> like, you legitimately yeah. didn't even have to read. It's in the syllabus. Kids will read it. Let them make up their own decisions. You don't need to make it up for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the professors here, they just start being overly dramatic about some of the stuff that's been put in there. And um, and um, anything to do with any minority at this school has been um, shut down in a way. I believe the NRC, ha- or the establishment of the NRC just took a step in the right direction. 
Like, we're all fighting for visibility and, like, the right to exist, which mm -hmm. is bullshit. To have to fight for the right to just be here and to just be who we are. Um, well, thank you. Is there anything else that you would want to put out there? Like, do you want to plug NASA? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know how to do that. But... <laughs> um, well, well, what is NASA? So, NASA is an acronym for the Native American Student Alliance. And we're basically an um, undergraduate student organization here on the SDSU campus, and we help both the NRC and the American Indian Studies Department in promoting Native excellence and education for non-Natives. Majikshush, my name is Mateo, and that was hello in my native language. I am Miwok from the Sacramento area. Um, and yeah, I don't, it's hard to say, like, what is, like, is the anti-indigeneity more so a response or a reaction to, like, indigenous pride? Or is it more so rooted in just the colonial, colonial history of the land we live on? Yeah, so, like, as a response to, like, indigenous pride? Yeah, I think people, my racist people, um, they, they can be triggered by indigenous pride or just the pride in, um, having, like, a rich cultural connection because I think a lot of white people don't and I guess that's also tied to indigeneity it's like we have a very unique connection to the land and not everybody does but even still while we do have a unique connection it's like in day-to-day -day life there's still a lot of like work to do for making like native people feel heard and represented I know that it, like there was like a familial thing for me like when I was really into like the native thing when I was younger. I was like, yeah, like I'm Native American. I'm so proud to be Native American. And my grandma, my white grandma, was like, why though? <laughs> like, why can't you be proud of your your white heritage, your white side? And I'm like, this is so problematic. <laughs> and like, I'm super proud to be part of my family. It's just a little different being like super proud that like I could be related to slave owners or you know all that. But um. I think that it's uh, rough for people to sort of see people be proud of being indigenous. And then, like, the answer to that is, like, well, why why is their culture gone? Like, why why are they so proud now? Like, like why can they have this voice and, like, it reminds them of all of the things that were done to them by people that they're related to. And it makes them feel uncomfortable. So our pride makes other people uncomfortable. <laughs> And they'll lash out because nobody likes being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a, they have a different. They have to have a different approach to their history than we do. Yeah, they have to lie about it. Correct. <laughs> like going through like the curriculum for social sciences and history in the state of California. Like a lot of it is polished up to make white people who took over the land like and killed a bunch of people. Like, oh no, they're heroes. Right. They should be glorified. That's, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the biggest forms of anti-indigeneity. Education. In, in education, <laughs> yeah, because it's like, yeah, not only are we not even going to acknowledge the history that actually happened, but we're going to lie and romanticize about what happened. So it's like, 
it's just like it's an accountability thing and it's like we now yes we can't go back and change what we did but we can change how we talk about it absolutely and how we learn about it isn't that how we move on from our mistakes is we acknowledge that we made a mistake and then moving forward we don't make the same mistake again correct and instead well if you erase it did you really learn anything no you just feel entitled it's exactly it and it's kind of like um not that they're comparable, but like in Germany, I think there's a real historical awareness about the Holocaust, and like that happened. Like they, Nazis took over in Germany, but I think that they don't try to forget that because they don't want to repeat history in that sense. Where it's like in America, we still have colonial statues everywhere, and there's just a different um, relationship between mistakes that we make as a country. Yeah. Ugh. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about Rushmore. Oh. oh. Like, the biggest middle finger, I think. And, I mean, that mountain was... It's extremely, I mean, culturally relevant to that tribe, so... It's... But there was, like, a name for it. A particular area, it was, like, the something grandfather something. I don't remember. Uh-huh. Six grandfathers. Education is important. <laughs> Amen. okay thank you so much thank you okay would you like to introduce yourself yeah yes uh miyu notong noah yaka hello my name is noah and no on bichanga wish temeku i am from bichanga also uh, in temecula california Uh, i am speaking the tongue of my people so um i probably first heard of that word couple days ago when I saw it on the board and we were talking about that one day. I think what first came to mind was just very basic anti-indigenous or anti-indigenous people. Um, but when I started really thinking about, you know, what is indigeneity, so the first thing I thought of was very political. Um, I started thinking about like the uh, Washington Redskins or the Cleveland Indians you know, stuff like that. I started thinking about how, you know, Dakota Pipeline access, stuff like that. It was very, um, like, those two examples are what I thought of when I thought of anti-indigeneity. Um, on the other hand, culturally speaking, I've kind of looked at it in a way that was, like, like, thinking back to when I first learned about the Indian Termination Act and how they wanted to assimilate Indians and how it was, they gave you a dichotomy of being indigenous and being from the reservation being from your tribe or you're going to live in the city and be american they wanted to assimilate everybody trying to in a way just erase and move over and so the new culture which would be the american culture can come in and be the most dominant and you know as sad as it is when it comes to erasing you know it's it's not always the uh cleanest um off the paper, you know, when you're when you're writing with a pencil and you try to erase, you know, you still see, you know, dim. Yeah, the impression's still there. Yeah, so, um, but they're still trying to erase that, and I think that's very sad. So that's what I think of when I think of anti-indigeneity. My name is Dr. Gabriela Covat-Sanchez. I am the faculty scholar for the Native Resource Center, and I'm also a lecturer in the American Indian Studies Department. Anti-indigeneity can mean a lot of things. I think the most, the simplified version of it would be discrimination against indigenous peoples. Um, But a lot of the work that I do also focuses on the ways that 
particularly when we talk about Latinx communities and Latin American histories and relationships to colonialism, is a way that we also romanticize indigeneity, and that in itself is anti-indigenous, or you could call it anti-indigeneity. And by romanticizing indigeneity, I mean uh, romanticizing histories of indigenous peoples, exclusively speaking about indigenous people in the past to conform to like a national narrative that fits with this idea of assimilation is, is also anti-indigenous. Well, no, I understand that because like in my own personal life, like I've come across people that are like, oh my gosh, you're a Native American. I didn't even know those were even like a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that's a weird way to say that. Like, right. um, yeah, like a whole people wiped out. You at least recognize that, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, still here. Yeah, I think it's the uh, anti-indigeneity includes this general assumption by the dominant society that indigenous people no longer exist, or if they do. They're very small, which in many ways justifies the dismissal of current issues. Like, oh, well, it's just a really small population, so... Or um, the, a popular response is, well, you lost, so mm-hmm. get over exactly. it. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't say that to anybody else. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's like speaking about indigenous peoples exclusively in the past and also romanticizing that history without acknowledging the current issues being faced by indigenous communities today. In my own work, it relates to the ways that Mexico as a nation state draws from indigenous histories, traditions, and cultures to create this singular identity of mestizaje, the ways that it's harmful, right, and invisibilizing actual issues when we talk about our identity as being mixed indigenous and European ancestry without naming specifically what that indigenous ancestry is and just lumping it all together as one. Like saying I'm Native American versus saying I'm Kumeyaay. Yeah. Um, But also just relying, and then when we do speak about indigeneity, only talking about it from like this pre-Columbian past, right? Only referring to indigeneity as something that's an ancestral residue as opposed to something that people continue to maintain and resist. Um, And so you see that, that contrast, especially in Latin America and specifically in Mexico where we glorify our Mexica civilizations uh, and our past, but yet we relegate present-day indigenous peoples to the margins where they um, have limited access to resources, to to basic resources, right, to education, and and this, like, huge contrast that you see between the two. And so I, for me, that that is an element of anti-indigeneity. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, because, um, like, I guess what you were saying, like, I, I the way that I understand what you're saying is, like, um, all of these different things are anti-indigenous and support one another to continue to to perpetuate this cycle of yeah. um, anti-indigeneity. Definitely. Definitely. It's weird though, because like we we want to like continue like traditions and things like that, but it's 
it's hard when society is telling you like that's not okay right or like oh let's well why don't you just share it with the world like let's like you know like the the news coverage of like the grunion run and stuff like that so it's not like bad it's just romanticizing it like you were saying I th- and I think kind of along those lines and tangentiality also includes appropriation right and so the appropriation of ceremonial spiritual practices um, by non-indigenous people like for profit that in itself whether you like enact these practices but if you're using them to make a profit or to put yourself at the forefront as opposed to indigenous peoples that in itself is is anti-indigenous as well okay well thank you so much you. for talking <laughs> with me thank you so much for listening to our podcast this is the very first of the series we will try to post every friday Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in seven days. We'll see you next week. Bye.